0: It's my delight again to have Dr. Ken Boa on the broadcast. If you're not familiar with Ken, I can't really begin to give you his CV or Vita or books. I do want to tell you his handbook to prayer has truly changed my life and Cindy's life, and I hope the life of our church, because we have been using and promoting that text for a number of years. His new book that I just got the other day and have yet to tackle is called Conformed to His Image, and we'll have information about Ken's ministry in the show notes as always. But Ken, thanks for coming back on the podcast. So appreciate you.
1: I'm glad to be with you.
0: I want you to help us out. We talk about prayer a lot in the body of Christ, and I'm just going to throw a bunch of questions at you. Sure to free will with me and help people understand. Let me just, number one, what is prayer?
1: Yeah, prayer is our response to God's loving initiatives. It's a, really, it's, it's, a, it's a matter of receptivity, of attention, of deciding who is life about. And so at the end of the day, I tell people that there are three major modalities of our spiritual life and growth. And one is prayer, one is the word, and the third one is suffering. And so when I put the two together, Hamburg to Prayer actually was designed to combine two of those together by integrating our thoughts with God's. And so by praying scripture back to God, now you're covering the first two categories because effectively prayer is communion, communication with God. It's just to convey our thoughts with him. And so one of the components of prayer that I think is often overlooked is that of the ongoing process where there is the whole idea of practicing God's presence, which is another aspect of prayer. I'm very interested in experiments with that, as well as prayer as receptivity to beauty as becoming another category for me. So that as I have become more increasingly aware of the way in which God approaches us through beauty as the connection between mystery and goodness and truth, I discover that it is in beauty that we behold Him, and very few people even notice that. Mm. So that's an ongoing process as well. But effectively, it's what I give my attention to and what I long for most. It comes down to these fundamental questions of what prayer is about.
0: To mention the Handbook of Prayer again, the organization of that, for those who have not yet picked up that book, there are 10 affirmations in the morning, and then Ken has broken it out in a three-month cycle I call it Paint My Numbers Prayer because you've selected great passages for worship, for adoration, for confession, for supplication. It's more, let's say, it's a little more robust than the ACTS, which is a great way of thinking. But what I appreciate about it, I challenge our folks at our church. I say, take the book, use it for ninety days. Maybe you have five minutes, maybe you have twenty minutes. Just start somewhere, right? And Ken, to reaffirm all your labors to put that book together. I get pictures of people, uh, they'll send me on their phone. They're on a trip and they have a picture of their handbook to pray open. And so I- I'm delighted <laughs> that it. our people, I think we've given about a thousand away so far. Wow. And I asked them, please, please, if you're going to take it, use it. And that's how yes. uh, helpful it's been to me. What several reasons people don't pray. Why don't they pray Ken?
1: before we get to that for just a moment if you don't mind i wanted just to add that the whole idea of form and freedom and a balanced diet so the form being scripture and our freedom is our response to the scripture so that we elevate our thoughts to greater thoughts than we would have on our own and then we pray the scripture back to god by actually then it invites us to give you your own response how do you resonate and the balanced diet is starts with adoration who starts with adoration very few do But this drives us to that we begin as we should with the majesty of God and then adoration, the bigger vision of God reveals greater apprehension of that which is not God, namely sin. And so confession follows and then renewal. So there's a balanced diet and it's of taking people by the hand. The other thing I would like to mention is that you're dealing with when you're thinking about this whole area of prayer. It's a three month cycle, as you say. I'm now telling all my people in my groups, think of this as this October is going to be month one. So September is the end of month three. That way, everyone's on the same page. So today, then, we're talking about the 29th of September. This is month three, day 29. And if I miss a day, don't beat yourself up. Suppose you miss a couple of days. Okay, you pick up with the next one that you'll be. That way, everyone's on the same page, and I'm having them do it in my church as well, where I'm trying to get people to actually pray the same text because there's something about doing it quote together, which we're on the same page at the same time. So on the three-month cycle, it becomes obvious and wrote because you know which one it'll be. There's a power in that.
0: We had some couples away. We have a little cabin, and we had some couples with us this weekend, and I just pulled it out on the given day, and we, we read the passage and passed the book around and prayed the bullet points. And uh, I'll do that with meetings. I'll have a meeting with a couple of guys, and I'll go, here, let's just do this together. And no one ever says no. (laughs) That's interesting. And, and, And we do it together. And people often say, you know, I could do that at my dinner table. Sure, with your family. You could do it in the morning with your wife. But it's breaking that problem I think most Christians have. So let me come back to that again. Why don't people pray? Tell me some of what you've learned. That why folks are reticent or have trouble with it?
1: Yes. There are a lot of reasons why people don't pray because it's, they get in very bad habits. One of the things that, that people do when we consider the nature, there are various elements of prayer and so forth, but we get out of the habit and out of the rut and what if prayer is not answered? But people will often pray with the wrong reasons as well or undesirable prayer habits of predictability and smallness and repetition. So there's a lot of reasons why people get out of the routine because they feel that it's not effective. They don't have a sense that I know what I'm doing. And so one of the reasons for the hammer to prayer is let me take you by the hand and make it simple for you and easy for you to grasp and understand what's taking place. I think that's really what's critical that instead of predictability or generality or dishonesty mm-hmm. there are some things that we can do that will be far more effective i think being very open and honest before god and actually revealing our heart and mm-hmm. our thoughts in fact i now use three questions of jesus when it comes to this matter and it relates to prayer as well and the first question is the first in the gospel of john and it's so it's what do you seek the most fundamental question you can ask wow about a person because you become conformed by that to which you aspire. And the second question is from Caesarea Philippi in the Synoptics, who do you say that I am? And then the third is, as goes back to John, the last question, do you love me more than these? Now let's put those three together and you have a pretty powerful combination. Right at this moment, right now, what do I seek more than anything else? What do I long for more than anything else? And who is Jesus to me and do I love him more than these? And whatever these might be, my children, my friends, my career, my security that becomes a kind of a, an analysis as well.
0: All right. All right. Some other common reasons. i want to throw one your way because I hear people often say prayer doesn't work. I tried, I've heard this one many times. I prayed when I was a child and my mother died or my father died. I prayed, I did what I was supposed to do, but God didn't answer or come through. Many
1: people put their hope in something God never promised. And that is a cause of great bitterness and disappointment and at the end of the day there's a difference a huge difference between hoping in and hoping for Mm. it's perfectly fine for us to hope for a particular outcome perhaps it might be let's say that a friend is going to be healed from an illness i pray for that person now it's in god's hands as to whether he is healed or not because there's no guarantee no promise that this will be an outcome. Sometimes you will, Hebrews 11 is a perfect example of some who were delivered in this life and some who were not. But the point is I can hope for an outcome, that's fine. And that's what intercession and petitions about. But it's the moment I put my hope in an outcome, that's not something promised by God. I'm setting myself up for bitterness and anger and disappointment with God. And it is a reason why many people drop out in the race because they think that he didn't listen to them. But actually, they hoped for something that he never did say he would actually do. He says, I, "You come to know me and ultimately pursue me, and not my gifts." But to make the idea that certain outcome will be, I can only pray for two things based upon his character and his promises, his unchanging character and his promises. There, there, so if so, I so, my, how do
0: I reconcile? I'm um, to pray about everything, anything I yes. bring to him in supplication uh-huh. and prayer. How, how do I reconcile that? Yes,
1: and with all those things. So I pray because I believe that it does matter. It does change things. But at the same time, there's another sense in which I do not even know what my best interests look like. And that is a mistake that many people can make if they're not careful, is that they can suppose God will answer their prayer the way they want it. Our problem is we don't even know what our best interests look like. And so do I have the wisdom to tell God how much and when to do this and so forth so there is a presumption so on the one hand i'm to pray to communicate to commune with god to listen to him and part of prayer is listening as well but part of it also is submitting to his greater goods and so to receive that so i offer my desires to god but at the same time i'm asking but you lord only you know best about how to answer this prayer when to answer it and to what extent it is answered And those things are not my wisdom because I cannot manipulate that outcome.
0: In your book, the adoration aspect of it, as well as the affirmations, I think last time I had you on the program, I confessed I had not taken time to really enjoy and sit in the affirmations. I get stuck on number seven about my purpose at this chapter of my life, and I'm struck by the ACTS, for example, the adoration, if I have 20 minutes that I've committed to prayer time or whatever, half an hour, if I spend adequate time in adoration, my prayer requests get real small, Ken.
1: That's quite correct, because the idea is really going to be more and more for prayer, for more to know Him— rather than to have a particular outcome that I want to be achieved. So at the end of the day, you're looking for the giver, not the gifts.
0: You traveled around the world, as I have, in so-called developing countries. Their view of prayer yeah. is very different than the Western prayer. The Western prayer Indeed. is an outcome-based prayer. If then, if I do this, I ask God anything, I ask it in Jesus' name, which I want to talk about what that means. We have these criteria, and then God, quote, doesn't answer. And as you succinctly said, many people put their trust in something God never promised. We've got to reframe our folks to say, the reason you pray primarily is to align yourself to God's word through God's spirit, along with God's people. And you add suffering into that equation.
1: Yes. So prayer is not a matter of trying to get God to do what we want, but rather true prayer is to align our purposes and wills with what he wants. So it is therefore to receive, renew the mind with the word because we leak (laughs) And as a consequence of this leakage, it's so easy that we need to constantly reinforce because the world, as I like to say, will define us by default, do nothing and it'll define you. But the word will only define you by discipline. So as I renew my mind, then I wish to know him. So at the end of the day, prayer is really to recalibrate, reorient my desires and aspirations and longings with his. And so when I'm doing that, then I'm now receiving what he wants. I have my plans but I know that he himself is going to determine what's going to take place. It's the difference between what is called, as you know, chronos, our plans, our time, our calendars, on the one hand, but then God's kairos, K-A-I-R-O-S, which has the opportunities, and for me to submit and surrender my chronos to his kairos his invitations. Because we construe these invitations as interruptions, but there actually can be invitations.
0: When you look back on your own life, I think I've said this before on the podcast, but if someone's new to listening to you, Howard Hendricks and Stanley Toussaint independently said, Ken Boa was the singularly most brilliant student they ever had in seminary. So I'm talking to a guy that's top tier. And I look back at your life and your ministry, and I ask you, When you were younger, you prayed a certain way. Now that you're older, and you look back on the way you pray and how you prayed, what what's the biggest change? Because you had good plans you prayed for that God may or may not have answered. And at that time, how did you respond? And now that we're older, we can say, "Yeah, it's going to work out in God's time." But you don't feel that way when you're 30, Ken.
1: No. So there's a development in our own minds and in our relationship with the living God. And after a while, when you think about the life-changing prayers of Paul, that we'd have a spirit of wisdom, of revelation, and knowledge of him, that these things cannot be apprehended by our own intelligence or understanding, but rather by his spirit, it reveals, and otherwise we could not know him. So the spirit, things of the spirit are spiritually revealed. Well, in my view, as we go through our journey, we become more and more conformed to God's image. And that's something I'd like us to chat about that book and briefly if we could for a moment. But that said, I believe we change. And after a while we begin to have a greater acuity, capacity, aspiration, the better we know him, the more we want to know him. But after a while as well, there's a kind of a shorthand It happens. It's true with my wife as well. We, we have a lot of language we can communicate without words. And so I'm finding I've been experimenting with wordless prayer, as well as listening prayer, as well as prayers which I now have been using the created order as a force multiplier for worship, which is something I think that has been largely overlooked, mm. but our response to beauty is absolutely essential. Does it produce wonder? Does the beauty produce wonder? And does it produce beyond that curiosity? And does it produce that beyond that surrender to the majesty and wonder of the one who cannot be understood but can be trusted? Mm. So it comes down to, and then there's the other idea of how can I practice his presence when he tells us then to rejoice always and pray without ceasing and everything give thanks. And so it's my conviction that there are ways in which we become more mature in the way we pray and even praying scripture back to God and various methods as well as you know of Lexio Divina where you just chew on the text and you read and then you reflect and then you respond and then you rest and various methods. I love those methods. But at the end of the day, I think prayer is communion. It's a mysterious process, you and me and I and you, as I receive and let the, because we don't know how to pray as we should, but the spirit himself intercedes with us with groanings too deep for words. But yet we can pray because we are given the power and the spirit. It's almost as if the spirit of God is praying in us, and so that there is this whole idea we're participating in the divine community, in the divine communion. I think it's getting very powerful more wonderful when we begin to think of it that way and how can I make everything acts as well become a prayer can I take out the garbage to the glory of God does that become almost like a prayer can I when I'm making a meal for my wife Karen is it possible for me then to turn that into more than just a fundamental activity that I may do but rather how can I immerse myself in God in that process notice the beauty of the created order that he's I'm actually cutting the fruit or whatever it happens to be I'm t- touching marvels, mysteries, and wonders. It's almost like George Herbert, teach me my God and King in all things thee to see and what I do in anything to do it as for thee. Mm
0: -hmm. I have some, I call them arch reform friends, and and we get together sometimes, and we will be at a place having lunch or whatever. One of them will always pray, and we eat and drink to the glory of God. And he means that in a deep way, and it always catches me off guard going, Michael, why don't you think that way? That you're enjoying this meal yeah. and the beauty mm-hmm. of these three or four guys that are closer than brothers, and you're able to take an hour and a half and you've traveled maybe and to enjoy the moment and what's Christ teaching you, where you're growing, where you're struggling. Right. There's nothing better.
1: Nothing better. It reminds me of a thing that C.S. Lewis said that God whispers to us in our pleasures. He speaks to us in our conscience and he shouts to us in our pain. Pain Pain is God's microphone to rouse a deaf world. Here's the thing that I get or I want to pull from that. What about the wisdom of listening to his pleasures? Hmm. He speaks to us in our pleasures. Why don't we not cultivate gratitude for the little gifts of life rather than the fact that we ignore them or take them as our due. So you are just giving me an example. You've got fellowship with friends that you care for over a good meal. You're free to be able to do that and share. We should cultivate a heart of gratitude to curate that as a mindset that becomes central to our focus. Two things that become, I think, essential. One is gratitude, the other is contentment. Mm. Very rare gifts. But the more we pursue those things, I think the more rich they become. As I see it, at least, I'm looking at this whole idea of thanksgiving, of being grateful, being a more profound motif, a recurring motif for me than ever before. It's very much like the idea of the working of the living God in Hebrews 12 when it talks about this idea, since you receive a kingdom that cannot be shaken.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: Then he says, let us show gratitude by which we may offer to God an acceptable sacrifice with reverence and awe for God is a consuming fire. And that's another component, the sense of he's both transcendent and immediate. He's intimate and also beyond me. So having a richer mindset or greater imagination and using biblical metaphors, the more we immerse ourselves in God's truth. And again, these tools are just designed to help people, but to personalize it and interiorize
0: it. Amen. I'm trying to think of the passage you mentioned, Hebrews. It's where he says, "Because we have a high priest who is not." Uh, I don't have your brain.
1: Oh yes, so because I was referring there to the unshaken. Let kingdom, us draw near with confidence. You're, you're thinking of about the throne of grace, right? Uh,
0: Hebrews, yeah. Is it nine or four? In,
1: Hebrew, in Hebrews four, he's describing this very Hebrews idea 4, that, 9, um, I think. yeah, because. Therefore, let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and grace to find and help us at the time of
0: need. Yeah, Uh that that verse, boy, let me read this again. I'm going to start at 14. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. And you can talk about that confession in a moment. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses but one who has been tempted in all things as we are yet without sin, therefore let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. And those three verses were pivotal to me when I was going through most difficult back surgery, pre-surgery, post-recovery time, when I was in the worst pain of my life. I read those over and over and over again, Ken, because it was... He sympathizes. He knows exactly what we're experiencing, but he didn't sin. So draw near, and you'll find grace and mercy in time of need.
1: That is correct. So there's a rich promise that we have access, open access, before the throne of the living God. And so I think that we want to ask ourselves as well, where am I and where do I want to be in my own spiritual journey? And to ask as well, The fundamental questions that recur of who am I, why am I here, and where am I going? In other words, a question of identity, a question of meaning, rather purpose, and then of hope, so that when people then put their hope in God himself and his unchanging character rather than in my plans and submit and gain the wisdom of submitting for myself, because I do not know what my best interests look like, nor am I in control— then we begin to see that prayer is a communion with a person and where I'm receiving and listening. And so I can begin to do it and begin to make it a part of my process, even when I'm driving, um, when I'm talking with people. I have these two things that I use of late, and I'd like you to try them out yourself. But the one I mentioned already, and I'm putting them on a card again, what do you seek, who do you say I am? Do you love me more than these? And the other, and I can do that even when I'm talking with a person or whatever, but another one is this. Trust the Father, abide in the Son, and walk by the Spirit. Now, what that does, because God has wired us in such a way that we have a capacity to be on two levels simultaneously. As you know, we're we're basically beings who put one foot in heaven mm-hmm. and the other on earth. So we are really uh, hybrids. On a good day. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, But the the idea, though, is that we are already seated within the heavenly places. We already have all these riches and grace and so forth. But at the same time, we are in a process that we're going through becoming in our practice who we already are in our position. And so prayer is a matter of then involving Him into the routine. What does it mean to? Take him with me in the journey and abide in Christ. So, to trust the Father right now and then to abide in the Son is to draw my vitality from Him and walk by the Spirit. And then again, I don't know how to pray as I should. God alone knows what's
0: best.
1: So, I, I leave it in His hands. I surely will give my desires, but I do not make the outcome dependent upon the achievement of my desires because I don't know what my best interests look like.
0: For me and for those listening, give us the three again. And you just added two. What do you seek?
1: Yes, what do you seek? Who do you say that I am? And do you love me more than these? Let me just speak about that love for just a minute because it relates to prayer as well. The whole idea of what do we love, to which do we aspire? Tell me what a person loves the most, I'll tell you what they fear the most. Tell me what they fear the most, I'll tell you what they love the most. And so if I fear an outcome or, or, or something that's going to happen with my friend or my child or whatever, more than I fear, the displeasure of the lover of my soul. You see, do I fear God? And so this is something overlooked as well. That's why these prayers of adoration and hammer to prayer are designed to elevate us to a higher thing. He's righteous in all his ways and you declare the end from the beginning. So we start with him and we have a sense of awe and wonder because that's, that's the key to wisdom is having a sense of the fear and reverential awe but a sense of a majesty of God. And yet at the same time, We know that the one who made us is the lever of our soul, so we put those together. So adoration is very critical for this whole process.
0: This goes back to the adoration, ACTS, the way you've organized handbook to prayer. If we spend more time reflecting on who God is, who Christ is, what he's done, and I love this, who do you think I am? Because I contend most Christians have a distorted understanding of who Jesus is. And the last one is just downright convicting and, and harmful to me yes, personally. I yes. I'm, I'm injured I by it. <laughs> Do you love me more than these? Because yeah. because I, I love I love my kids. I love my grandkids. I love my life, Ken. Yeah. And I get accustomed to it and this earth isn't home.
1: If we're, so if we're brutally honest, in certain respects, we're more concerned because we're more afraid of them uh, rather than the, the fear of the one who Absolutely. is the one who should So, really okay,
0: trust. here's a random <laughs> question, random question. Uh-huh. Why do we trust God for those of us who believe in eternal security? Why do we trust God that our salvation is assured and eternally secure, but we don't trust him for the little things of day to day?
1: Yeah, Basically, this is the amazing part. We're we're willing to trust God for our eternal destiny, and then we look to the world for everything else. Essentially, we don't live consistently. If we truly believe you have words of eternal life, I have nowhere else to go. I've burned my bridges behind me. If that's, it's either true or it's not. Or going back to another way of putting it, again, another Lewisism, where he said, Christianity is a statement which, if it is true, is of infinite importance if false, of no importance, the one thing it cannot be is moderately important, yet most people plump for the third oh, as if that was an option. Wow, moderately important. So they compartmentalize their own. Yeah, I do. And then I'm yeah, guilty. in conformed to His image. Yeah, we all do this. So, in conformed to His image, I have a whole section on holistic spiritual. Okay, we're going to come to that. I'm going to
0: give you time. Okay, yeah, all
1: right. But the whole idea of compartmentalizing—don't make him a component. He has to be the hub of the wheel, and then all the spokes radiate from him. Instead of making him an extra component, people have a way of only turning to him when they're in trouble.
0: You were talking about Lecto divino and and I have great pause with that because I think churches. Is- use that in a horrible way. I just listened to a series of Bruce Waltke lectures on Proverbs and he talked about that in a layer I had not heard where I think he said four times a day, he and his wife stop and they sit down at the table and they have a very precise thing that they are praying through. And it just blew my mind because I, back to your point, is he the center? Now we're not gonna you know pray to the east five times a day with meaningless repetition. But the point is, is Christ in your life with him that important that you're willing to say, you know, four times a day, I'm going to stop and spend just a mm-hmm. little time in prayer. Not yeah. because I have to, but because I yeah. get to.
1: Or another way of looking at that is that making the prayer more even more extensive in some respects that wherever I am, if I can begin to train myself have an acuity in two levels simultaneously, because God's ordered our mind in such a way that we can be aware of the spiritual and the material. And then to be integrators who combine the two and heaven and earth go together. So the simplest, most mundane activities, or even perhaps if I'm cutting a deal with someone or working with a client or a vendor, I believe that even there, then it become a form of prayer. If we invite him into that process and become more conscious and intentional about that, so that we can do that at the same time as we're functioning that way because God's given us the capacity to do that. I just don't think people make the effort that it's a component and they turn to him when they're in, in desperation and then when things are better, they, okay, I got the wheel again. And, and so they miss the entire lesson.
0: And during the desperation, the unintended or unspoken prayer is, Lord, let me learn what I need to learn through this cancer, through this trauma, through this job loss, so that I can get back on. <laughs> with my life it's not they, it's not yeah. can i learn who you are and what it means to suffer with yeah. kindness or yeah. what it yeah. means to be content when injustice happens to me it's, let me learn a lesson so I can get on to my, my Western I life. I want
1: to go back to my agenda. I'm going to go back to my Kairos. I don't want to be interrupted, so let me get this behind me, and then I can move on yeah. with what I wish to have. To be perfectly frank, then, it's a question of knowing him, but loving him, and do you love me more than these becomes a the question. And if I cannot say I truly love you more than these— Do you want to love me more than these? Ah, now we can give them. You have to multiply something. You can't multiply nothing. So the the loaves and the fish, give them. But I want to want you more than these. And even the prayer to be pleasing to him is itself pleasing to him. So he's impossible to impress, but easy to please.
0: Wow. Wow. Okay. Why do we put in Jesus' name as the appendage, the ending, the epitaph on our prayers?
1: Yeah, it's an interesting thing, because formerly he said, you have not asked for anything in my name, but ask and it it will begin. So a a lot of reasons it becomes a coda, but then it becomes a perfunctory coda if we're not careful. I think what you're doing here in Jesus' name is he's saying that your approach to the Father is always going to be through me. Then your approach to me is going to be through the Spirit, so that when you, again, going back to the Father, the Trinitarian vision, my job with the Father is to trust in him with christ is to abide and draw my life from him and through him and then for the holy spirit then to walk and keep in step in his power the spirit then points to jesus who points to the father so there's a very real reason and logic that he is the mediator between god and man and as a consequence in jesus names become as a representation or authentication of a reality that I must frequently acknowledge that it is about him and not about me. And it is in his name and not about mine. Or another way of putting it has to do with the Lord's Prayer. So when we say, Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done. Well, what we're immediately doing is, is actually taking off the autonomous self and replacing it with the living God so that I get off the center. and I do a paradigm shift where I move from an egocentric world to a Christocentric world. So that by saying your hallowed be your name, not my name and reputation, your kingdom come, not my little fiefdom, your will be done, not my little plans. And now what you're doing is you now you're dying to the self. I die daily. I take up my cross daily and you're surrendering your agenda, putting him in his proper place. Otherwise, we'll ascend that throne again.
0: Our dear, beloved, incredible Prof. Howard Hendricks, who's with the Lord Jesus Christ yeah. now, yeah. often said the only thing the disciples ever asked Jesus to teach them was to pray, to pray, uh, yes. like John's disciples. And the other amendment to that was, gentlemen, Please quit calling it the Lord's Prayer and call it the Disciples Prayer because it wasn't the prayer Jesus prayed. It was the prayer He said, okay, this is how you, is how you as pray. my disciples, yeah. pray.
1: Yeah. So, there's, it becomes a model or a paradigm, and that's why they're, in fact, even conformed. It, it, rather, Hammer to Prayer is largely based upon that, that yes. design and that model. What you're doing there, and in Hammer to Renewal, I do something very similar where I start with God and then look at who I am and then my relationship with others. Again, as I put it in conform to his image, loving God completely is the key to loving self correctly, which empowers us to love others compassionately.
0: And that middle one is, and I don't want to be indelicate or unkind, but. The Christians that I walk alongside with loving me correctly is so needed because this I mean my theology is in Mm -hmm. in no small part, Michael Easley's two cents, that defines progressive Christianity because it's about I mean my, my vision, my passion, my dreams, what I want, who I am, my identity. No, it's about aligning ourselves to the Lord Jesus Christ.
1: Yes, apart from him, what do you have that you weren't given? Then why would you boast as if you didn't receive it? The key to humility is to realize you bring nothing Nothing. to the table. And so the realization then is that God has called us to know him for himself and to become conformed into his image. And obedience-based discipleship is really the key to what we truly long for because letting loose of our desire and our idea to discover that the true satisfaction of the soul is to be found in the submission and surrender to the lover of our souls because his obedience is our perfect freedom. Everything else becomes a tyrant.
0: I love that. And let me ask clarification for guys like me who are slow. How am I careful that obedience is not a work of the flesh, that I'm not checking a box? Because
1: Mm -hmm. the
0: Catholic in me, the works were a demonstration of faith, and frankly, I think a lot of our Christian friends can, if they look at Ephesians 2.10, it's to prove they're saved or to demonstrate their salvation as opposed to it's a thank you back to God. I'm glad to run to obedience, but that it's obedience. an
1: expression of it. That's exactly right. So going back to that Trilogy of loving God completely if I'm defined by him because you've made us for yourself our Lord our heart to wrestle So they find their rest in me So once you find he's the wellspring of all beauty and all goodness and truth loving him completely Which is an interior life from the inside out with all your heart your mind your soul and your strength is inside out Well, then to know him is to know yourself and the more you know yourself and to see yourself as you truly are So I believe true faith is to choose to believe that God has told you this is true. He has made you a person who has great dignity and great authority in Christ. In other words, it's to appreciate and appropriate what God himself says Mm. uh, we are. To believe in what he says in spite of of appearances and and experiences to the contrary. When he tells me that you are chosen of God, holy and beloved, many people will have filters that will eliminate that because of bad experiences and so forth. But I'm suggesting here that the doctrines of grace, here's a wonderful phrase, I don't know who came up with it. The doctrines of grace humble us without degrading us, and they elevate us without inflating us. So now you have a vast array of understandings, the dignity and depravity of man. We see our heights and our depths. And so we recognize, oh, how the incredible depths of dignity we've been given. And yet at the same time, we learn not to trust the flesh so that at the end, choosing to believe what he says, and the more we choose to acknowledge that is so, then the more secure and significant and satisfied we are. So then you're secure enough to serve. So what starts with the love of God ends with the love of neighbor.
0: Recently, I would say the last six months have started, and I don't want to ever become a rote or in meaningless repetition as he accused the Gentiles and the religious leaders of, but I've started ending my prayers with, thank you that you even hear this sinful man's prayers. Because we could talk perhaps at another time about conscience and who we are and, and do you truly know yourself? I don't believe we ever can. But I think it's always duplicitous. We always fight Romans 7 at some level. But at the end of the day, there's this tension of, I think I'm praying in accordance with God's will. I often use the question when people ask me about prayer, I say, one way of thinking of it, would the answer to this prayer glorify God? So if I'm praying for a person that doesn't know Jesus, of course, that's a good prayer. Am I praying for my granddaughter or grandson to survive a surgery? Well. Yes, that may glorify God, but that's a little different nuance there. And I have to go back to the next question I want to ask you, two final, and then I want to go to your book. What does it mean to pray God if it's your will?
1: Yes. Again, how do I know what His will is? There are times, I believe, that God gives us a sermon or a sense of faith where you can name this thing and say that is, and He gives you a thing that is almost self-authenticating, there's a kind of a luminous understanding that this is something that you're called to lay hold of. But in other times, how do I know, as I pray perhaps for a friend's healing, and there are some instances in which he will, yes, grant that, and other t- instances in which that's not in the right. pers- person's yeah. blessing. But I'm a participant in that, nevertheless, and he knows the heart's desires, and I participate that, but I leave the outcome in God's hands. I'm called to be faithful to the process and let loose of the outcome. But one of the things when we speak about prayer, we notice that we have a tendency to speak only of petitions and, and yes. supplications. Yep. That's a mistake. Yep. In my mind, the real point of prayer is to know God. And so it's to commune, to listen, to respond, to renew. And as we do that, then there's a reciprocity that takes place where spirit calls, this deep calls to deep. And so you begin to, as the better you know him, then the more you uh, listen to his voice and you look for his works in the processes, not only in what's going on in the beauty of the world itself, but also we know it's a fallen world and we understand that. But his desire is that we are pilgrims, who are headed toward a telos and end a journey, and we, he's going to t- carry us there. So along the way, we keep our steps in step with him. Prayer is recalibration and reintegration and to receive and reflect and respond and to be a grateful person. So when he tells me to pray without ceasing and everything give thanks, that means that he's inviting me to give him the hard thanksgiving, to thank him for things I do not want. Rather And so the hard thanksgiving means because it's part of everything. But whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus. Well, that becomes a prayer. So your actual activity becomes a form of prayer. So I think we've limited ourselves, Mm -hmm. I mind, too much to a left-brained understanding of prayer and haven't grasped a more holistic and integrated gestalt of what prayer is really about. It's a richer thing than most people have seen.
0: Last question, and then I want you to talk about your book a bit. Does God change his mind? based on our prayers.
1: That's a deep mystery. Let's consider this. Even to pray for a person's salvation, in one sense, is to ask God to have done something before the foundation of the right? world. <laughs> So what you have is a retroactive capacity. In my own view, prayer can be retroactive as well as prospective. And let's consider the not mind of the one for whom a day is as a thousand years and a thousand years as a day, which means you could just as well say a billion years is like a, a, a microsecond, a microsecond. Well, the ultimate is an infinitesimal moment is eternity for him. But at the same, quote, time, it's not time. Eternity is a moment. He sees it all at once. So in the timeless mind of the living God, he sees our prayers having been already encompassed and incorporated. And I think that there is a participatory dynamic that is transcendent and mysterious we can't fully grasp. But I think our prayers do have the capacity to actually touch on these things and our desires. When I pray for people, we'll have reached back and reach forward as well. It's a deep mystery that I'm participating in. But I'm given the agent, the dignity of agent causality. But at the same time, it's not a question of one all or nothing, uh, but it's rather, it's not just one extreme, it's all divine sovereignty, or the other extreme of all humans. It's a synergistic mesh in which God is sovereign over all things, and yet he gives us the dignity of agent causality. Otherwise, we're just uh, robots and illusions. Yeah. That's always the risk of love, but ultimately, he incorporates even those prayers in his timeless plan. Wow, that's a radical claim.
0: Yeah, I have a friend who's buried two wives. His first wife was a wonderfully and remarkable Christian lady. She quote saw Jesus close quote as she was degrading in her cancer, and one could say that's neuros, you know, synaptic weirdness or whatever. He postulated with me, he goes, Michael, if God is beyond space and time. Yes. and we are now not yet, and we are in the presence of Christ as the moment we trust him, are we not now already in heaven, but still, to your point, one foot on earth? And I thought, wow, this is a, a big sidebar, but yes, there's a sense in which, right? Yes. That time is complete, but yet we're still, this world is not our home, and we're chained until such time he calls us.
1: That's how I see this. So that there's a, a remarkable meshing that takes place if we begin to realize this day, this thought, this event will last forever. And so we have the capacity to have an understanding and a knowledge on two levels in a simultaneous way. It's very mysterious. So if I can then take every act or every deed and begin to train myself to practice his presence, and actually then your life becomes a prayer, and it becomes a response to his grace, and A receptivity to it and then following his lead. So that's why walking by the spirit and not walking in the flesh. So we, he, he well knows our frame, but he's also given us the power to be overcomers. But it's, it's the awful capacity, the power of will. I claim that most people have anemic desires, they have floppy thought lives, and they have flabby wills. What I mean by the anemic desires, they don't long for enough. They desire too little, not enough. And so you need to have such a desire so that so much that only the transfinite and the trans-temporal can possibly sustain mm-hmm. that. You're looking for God. They don't long for enough, and so they have really sloppy thought lives. And as a result of that, their wills become weak as well. They don't have a desire. Would you stop talking
0: best. about me? This is really uncomfortable. Oh. <laughs> uh, Ken's newest book, Conform to His Image, subtitled Biblical Practical Approaches to Spiritual Formation. It's a Zondervan academic text. I purchased this text. And I, I'm going to caution you and encourage you. This is not a typical Ken Boa little book that is phrases that you'll turn over and over and go, how did he say so much in such a little space? He's saying a lot in a lot of space. This is a great book for ABF leaders, Sunday school leaders. If you're serious about your Christian life, I have it. I haven't yet started it. I have a reading group on Monday that we read these kinds of books together, and I'm going to I'm going to see if they're going to read it with me as we, we finish our current text. So, Kent, tell us about this text. It's a textbook. It's 600 pages it's a long. Textbook.
1: I admit it's a textbook, but it's like drinking syrup. Take a little at a time. You can understand it. It's not. It's not a complex thing, but it's rich. It's. Don't, I don't waste time. But I begin and end with relationships. I end with begin with relational spirituality. And then I end with corporate spirituality, the church. But there's 12 facets of the spiritual life It's because the Christian life is a, life, a gem with many facets. And the main point about this book then is becoming more and more aware of the living God, becoming more like him and what that looks like. And so all these facets of relational spirituality, again, what I call loving God completely ourselves correctly and others compassionately paradigm shift spiritually cultivating an eternal versus a temporal perspective by the way I have turned this, I did 40 videos for Zondervan. I went to Zondervan in, in, in Michigan, and I did 40 videos, one for every one of the chapters, about 15 minutes on average. And then we turned that into a study guide as well. I actually have discipleship groups that are going through this chapter, uh, chapter a month as well. So really a wider range of things from disciplines to exchange life to motivated spirit, devotional, holistic, process, spirit-filled, warfare spiritually nurturing. It's pretty comprehensive. I think it'd be something that one could, uh, a group can, I've I've got various discipleship groups that are going, as I say, I'm taking them through it.
0: Ken, I had trouble with the phrase spiritual formation in some part because I've seen that term used in a, let's say, a confusing way.
1: Yes, I do. I
0: have argued for discipleship vis-a-vis spiritual formation. You've chosen to use the words spiritual formation. Why?
1: Part of the reason is because religion is, is out, but spirituality is in. There's a certain terminology of being formed into the image of God, conformed to his image, which is spiritual formation. I don't think the world has all these terms, and so I have to define my terms. And as long as I do that, then I'm, I'm perfectly fine, like holistic or those kinds of terms as well. And what do I mean by that? I think the idea of being formed and conformed into his image is a rich aspect of what discipleship is about because discipleship has many facets. You see, it's a gem of multiple facets. And so, just like following him and walking with him. So, I think about the idea of spiritual formation as being formed and conformed into God's image. And that's why that title is used. But it's to talk about the formation of the inside out. And so, the idea of excellence and think of it of five spheres of excellence will be one way of looking at this. The first one in your mind's eye would be in the center and it would be spiritual excellence. It is to know God and becoming like him. The second shell after outside of that would be moral excellence, which would be the fruit of the spirit of the virtuous qualities of the life of Christ, which in third empowers the third sphere, which is relational excellence. Because when you're walking by the spirit, it gives you the capacity to have really rich and righteous relationships. Those three things I put together okay. and I put them all under loving well. And then the next sphere will be theoretical excellence, which is learning well. And then the last sphere would be whole idea of practice. And so it's functional excellence and that is living well. So inside out is what I'm talking about here. And living in the temporal arena with an eternal perspective because we're pilgrims and agents. So there's so many beautiful metaphors that are used. But this book, I think, can be a guidebook to just uh, walking through what it is to know yourself and know others. And so there are various facets that I think can speak to us in that way.
0: Well, I look forward to digging in as soon as I finish my current. It's the second volume of John Hanna's invitation to World History 1 and 2. And we're uh, just getting into that. But God willing, we'll take this on.
1: Just try reading two or three pages. Yeah, I'll do that.
0: Yeah, sure.
1: Here's what I'm telling people. Don't read it fast. Yeah. Take it slowly. Just make it a devotional thing. Read two or three pages a day and it'll be enough.
0: Well, and I'm looking at the table of contents and the first facet, as he calls it, is what we've talked about, what Ken has said so poignantly and eloquently, loving God completely loving ourselves correctly, and loving others compassionately. All right, so for our listeners, for our in-context listeners in the show notes, Ken will give us a code, and you can get a discount if you use that code when you purchase that book.
1: There was one other thing with the handbook to prayer that may be of possible interest. With ministries and with churches, we are doing a very special thing when they decide to get make it a part of a corporate rule. Where instead of just an individual rule, where imagine if you could get people to actually give them a, a, a copy of the paperback version of Hammock to Prayer*, for example, for a church, we are, offer a really great discount for that because it's the now whole point. Now you tell me. It. Get one. Yeah, get one, give one. Yeah. So what we do is, is, if if I had a church that had the same for, average church, two hundred people, if they bought a thousand copies and they get an incredible price for doing that, if they did. Suppose everyone, and there's 200 people, so everyone get they would get one and give four.
0: I love it. I love it. Well, and what we do, because we buy them in bulk, I hold it up probably every three or four Sundays at church, and we have it on our live stream. And I say, if you're a regular attender at Stonebridge, we want to give you this copy, but I'm going to ask you to use it. Don't take it if you yes. don't plan. And then I want you to use it for 90 days. I won't check up on you. I won't guilt or shame you. Five minutes, 10 minutes, 20 minutes a day, and I contend it will change your prayer life. And when we started Stonebridge, Ken, one of the passions I had was exposition, discipleship, and prayer, because I think most Christians— just in our conversation, don't understand prayer. They feel guilty about not praying. They know they should, or maybe they've had, you know, unanswered quote prayer, and therefore they give up. But Ken, I would talk to you all afternoon. It's a delight to have you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for being willing to come on the broadcast again and again. Love and appreciate you, brother.
1: Great to be with you, and uh, any way I can be of help to you in any way, just let me know.
0: Did you know that In Context is fully funded by our listeners like you? If you are a regular listener, would you consider giving a one-time or perhaps monthly donation? You can give at michaelincontext.com. In Context is produced by Hannah Seymour, mixed and mastered by Sonamorphic, and music composed by Tycho and Blair Masters.